1 Corinthians 13. We won't stay there very long. We're talking about hope. While you're turning there, after the first session on this, um, Brent Gilliam, our headmaster at SCA, came to me and he said, and I hadn't really thought about this. I mean, I've seen it. He says, you suppose that somehow connected with the, um, with the, with the seal for Rhode Island, which has the word hope in it, but it also has an anchor. So he went ahead and did a little research and found this. The flag over the state of Rhode Island, as it presently existed, was adopted, formally adopted in 1897. And as early as 1640s, the anchor and the hope were found on the Rhode Island seal, and the seal's words and emblem were likely inspired by the biblical phrase, hope we have as an anchor of the soul, found in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. Rhode Island consists early colonies were fleeing religious persecutions in Massachusetts due to their Christian beliefs. And his comment on here, I was, I wish Rhode Island still had that hope. Well, we do. But the hope is not in ourselves. It's in Christ Jesus and in the hope that we are studying here tonight. So we're not going to stay here very long, but 1 Corinthians chapter 13, of course, is, is discussing uh, really very the most powerful chapter in the Bible on love, Really, it's in the process of uh, three chapters that discuss the gifts of the Spirit. Um, but it ends with this phrase, with this verse 13, and that's kind of what I want you to see. Uh, and we've talked about this before. Now abide, so we've been talking about love. And he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit, are, the purpose of the gifts of the Spirit is they are manifestations of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are manifestations of the Spirit of God. They're revealing something about God in a way that our senses can detect that, that He's real, that He's really here, and what He's something about Him, what His character's like, what His nature's like. And then He says, but we don't need those. Once, once we're face-to-face with Christ, we don't need, uh, we don't need some representative of Him because we're going to see Him face-to-face. We don't need faith then. We don't need that. We don't need the gifts of the Spirit because we're going to have what the Spirit's representing. We're going to have Him face-to-face. So those gifts will not be needed anymore. But then He says, but these three will remain. So these are the eternal ones. Faith hope and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And that's true because that's God's nature is love. But turn with me now to, uh, to Hebrews chapter 11. And what we've talked about already, we're really, the subject we're discussing right now, before we get into what hope is, is we're talking about why it's important to not only understand hope, but to have it. Because of those three that are remaining, that are eternal, two of them we hear a lot about. We certainly hear a lot about faith. I mean, that's in the name of this church. We are Faith Christian Center. We also hear a lot about love and need to hear more about love because we're not all, none of us are really walking in the fullness of all what the, the Bible says that we are to walk in. And that standard is out there as a goal for us to attain to. But we should be increasing in that love walk. But you don't hear a whole lot about hope, and it's kind of like the forgotten sister. It's like, well, you know, faith is important. Well, Paul says that that's one of the three that's eternal that's going to remain. And so we're going to, we've been looking at why is it important to understand hope? Why is it important to have hope? 
And we've already seen by looking at the scriptures that are referred to in that little article on, on the state seal of Rhode Island, we've seen that in, in, in Hebrews chapter 6, it says that hope is the anchor of our soul. And we've looked at what our soul is. It's made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's kind of the part of you that we would consider your personality. That if you're, you know, you say, I meant so-and-so, you know, and you know, what's so-and-so like? Well, they're kind of a bubbly, they're a nice person to be around. You're not necessarily talking about their physical appearance. And in most cases, we're not discerning enough to be talking about their spiritual nature. What we're most likely talking about is their soul, their personality, their emotions, their, 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 the way they present themselves, what it's like to be around them. Those are basically attributes of the soul. And we talked about so that the, the hope provides an anchor to that part of us that's our soul. And we talked about the most fickle part of the soul, which is our emotions. You know, you can go to bed just, you know, so full of, just, oh, God is so wonderful. I love him. Oh, oh it's so nice of you and God. You just drift off to sleep. Oh. You wake up. Ah! <laughs> now, what happened between when I went to sleep and I woke up? God didn't change. I didn't do some great sin and get in trouble. What happened? In between when I went, uh, and I wake up, my mind's been running. I've been dreaming, thinking. And those thoughts produce emotions. And those emotions can be very real. Did you ever wake up from a nightmare and your heart's pounding away and you're sweating, perspiring, you know? Your body is reacting to something that didn't really happen at all except that happened between this ear and this ear. And that's very powerful what goes on in there. So we talked about that, that a hope provides an anchor to those emotions. That yes, you may move around a little bit, but you're not going to move off course when you have a strong hope. And we'll talk about what that hope is in down the road. And we looked at examples of that. We looked at Paul and how with all the things that Paul went through, Paul was, although he had emotions, emotional responses and reactions, they never moved him off of his course and off of his assignment. And then we looked at King David. That's kind of where we ended up last time. Now we're going to look at another aspect of this. Uh, and really, this is in some... That, the, the, what we talked about is very important, but this is also very important. Very familiar verse, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith, this is a definition, this is the biblical definition of faith. Chapter 10 has ended by saying, don't throw away your confidence because it has a great promise of reward. And he said, though you're saved by faith, the Bible also says that we, the just, those who have been made just, are also to live by faith. So we're not just saved by faith in Christ, we are to live every day walking in faith. And we'll talk about that down the road, what that means. And so now what is happening in chapter 11, he's going to define for us what faith is, and then the rest of this chapter is going to be examples of faith from stories that we know of. Most of these are stories we know of, from the, many of them from the Old Testament, or they're all from the Old Testament. But this is a definition so that we know what faith is. So it says, faith is the substance of things hope. Now, just a little side lesson. You may never need to know this, and it won't get, won't get you into heaven. It won't keep you out if you don't know it. But in the Greek language, the order of the words in the Greek language has a significance in many cases. And when a, when a verse starts 
with a word, that's most likely what that verse is predominantly about. And the first word in the Greek here is the word estin, which means is. So this verse starts out by saying, is faith substance of things hoped for? Now when it starts out is, what that significance is, is that it's telling us that this verse is defining the next word. So the very order of these words tells us that the Spirit of God is giving us a definition of faith. So it behooves us to know what that definition is. And we're familiar with it. Most of us have been around long enough to know this verse by heart. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And I've taught on this a number of times before. But I want to break it down a little bit. So it's the definition of faith. And what it's saying, the first half of this definition, is faith gives substance to things that are hoped for. Now, what is the word substance? It means tangibility. It means something that you know is substantial or real. You know that it's there. And, and, and the primary way we know something is there is because our, one or more of our five senses can detect it. And you are all living examples of that tonight. Because you became convinced that that blue chair had substance. And the reason I know you were all convinced that it had substance is you acted accordingly. Because you entrusted your entire weight to what you perceived was actually there. And you were not disappointed because you found out that chair really was there. It was not an illusion. Because if it were an illusion, it wouldn't hold you up because it would not have had any substance to it. So the significance of something having substance is we know it's real and we know it's there. So this definition is telling us faith gives us substance, gives us the same confidence and assurance that, that, that something has substance even though we can't see it. So most of the things in our life, the ones we have, we know have substance to them is because we can see them, we can touch them, we can hear them, or we can taste them, or we can, what's the other one? Smell them, thank you. Those give us evidence, those give us evidence that that thing has substance. But when it comes to a promise of God, we can't see that, that God really has that for us. We can't hear that God really has that for us. We can't smell that God really has that for us. We can't taste that He really has that for us. And we can't feel that He really has that for us. Even though it's, But that doesn't mean it's not real. That doesn't mean it doesn't have substance. It's just that the normal way we have of determining whether something has substance doesn't work here because it's not detectable by any one of our five senses. Everybody with me so far? So what faith does is faith is a sixth sense. Faith is what allows us to have confidence that what God says is ours is substantial, has substance, even though we can't detect it with our five senses. Faith gives us that same level of confidence that it has substance that it would be if we could see it, touch it, feel it, taste it, hear it, or smell it. Everybody with me so far? All right. 
And we've studied that before. So that's basically what faith does. It's not a pipe dream. It's not some leap of faith because where it has substance is in the spirit realm. Everything that exists in this realm, first of all, exists in the spirit realm. Well, let's just go look down here. He tells us that. Verse 2, for by it the elders, by faith, the elders obtain a good testimony. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the worlds, the worlds here refers to the whole material realm. So by faith we are able to understand that this entire natural material realm was framed or created by the Word of God. So the scientists today that are trying to discover where the Big Bang, what caused the Big Bang to bang, <clears throat> you're never going to understand it by any kind of scientific evidence. Because it didn't come out of something that science can measure or detect. It came out of a realm that science can't measure and detect, and the only way we know that that realm exists is by faith we understand. Not by Hubble telescopes. Not by the atomic uh, uh, microscope. Not by the, by, the, by the electron, whatever it is, that, that smashes atoms together. Not by any of the instruments that man has created. Because all of those instruments at some point require a human sense to, to input it into us. And this verse tells us the only way you can truly understand the way all this was created. See, from the point of the Big Bang, it's being, it's being, it's being re, re, restructured. But creation is when nothing becomes something. And only God can take nothing and turn it into something. Once he's turned nothing into something, man can take that something and re, re, reorganize it, restructure it, reconstitute it, remanufacture it. He can take what God creates out of nothing and redo things with it and think he's created something. So it takes faith to see where everything originally came from. Why? Because it came out of what well, he tells you here. So that the things which are seen, the things which can be felt, the things which can be heard, the things that can be tasted, the things which can be smelled, the things which your electron microscope can pick up, the things that the Hubble telescope can see 14 billion light years away, all these things that can be seen were not made out of things that are visible, out of this realm. They came out of a realm that is not visible, but it's very real. In fact, it's more real because it existed before this realm existed, and it will continue to exist when this realm's gone. It is the spirit realm. And so you and I live in a natural material realm that was formed out of that realm. But God's provision for us, God's promises, God, what God 
sees for you. What God has for you exists, first of all, up in the spirit realm where he has it within himself. And until that comes down and is manifested in this natural realm so I can see it, the only way I have confidence that that exists is by faith. Faith is what allows me here in this realm to believe that what's in that realm is so real I can act here as if I can actually touch it. Alright? So faith gives substance. But here's the thing we've overlooked. What does it give substance to? Just whatever I say? This is why a lot of you go around saying things and they don't happen. Yeah, but you said, Pastor, we can have whatever we say. The Bible says that. But what people are trying to do is exercise their faith without understanding what faith does. Is faith's job is to give substance to something. But what's it give substance to? Faith gives substance to what you Hope for. So if you're not hoping for anything, faith is there to work, but it has nothing to attach the substance to because you haven't put a hope out there for it to fill in the spaces. Did you ever see one of these paint-by-number kits? And you pull it out of the box, and all it is is a bunch of gray lines with little numbers in it. And you look at it and you might be able to make some sense out of it. But in that is a plan, a picture of what that artist wants you to create on there. That's the hope. That's the plan. But that doesn't create anything until you take the paintbrush of color number one, and you begin to fill in those colors. But you can have all the paints in the world with all the numbers on them, but if you don't have that frame, if you don't have that outline of where those colors go, all the paint in the world is just going to be some mishmash of stuff, and it won't create a clear picture unless that paint fits into a piece up here that's been designed to create a picture. Faith is the paint. It's what adds the substance to that piece of paper, but you can slap substance all over it all you want, but it won't create a picture until there's out there some kind of design that that paint gets applied to that now says, aha, It's a beautiful cardinal sitting on a branch. Let me give you another example. This is the time of year where we understand this. Suppose, and this is not my, you know, I didn't think of this example. I've heard others teach this. Suppose some guy comes out of the woods. He's lived in the woods all his life in a shack with a wood stove. And he comes down to visit us here, comes into church and says, wow, what a beautiful place. And it's cold outside. And he comes in here and it's, it's still, it's kind of chilly. 
And he's going, oh, it's cold. And he sees other people going like this. And pretty soon Alan comes down and says, my goodness, people are cold. Because Alan's always cold. But people are cold. <clears throat> and he comes down. He goes over to this box over here. And just, you know, lifts this up and does this on here. And puts it back and walks away. And pretty soon he notices people aren't shivering anymore. And he notices it starts getting warm in here. He says, Whoa! Where's the wooden stove? And there's no wooden stove here. So after the service, he goes up to Alan and says, What is that? He says, Well, that's a thermostat. Wow, is that how it got? You just went to that thermostat? And he said, What did you? I just moved it up to the temperature that I wanted. And it got warm. He says, Whoa, I need one of those. Where do you get them? So we'll just go to Home Depot or Lowe's. So he walks in there, gets one, one of the clerks, and says, I need a thermostat. He buys this thermostat, takes it home, goes up and nails this on his wall, says, I'd like it to be 70 here tonight. He sets the thermostat up to 70, goes to bed, gets up in the morning, and he's still shaking. He takes the thing back and says, it doesn't work. Well, you obviously need more than a thermostat, don't you? The thermostat has to be connected to something that produces the heat like a furnace. Faith is the furnace, but the thermostat is hope. So let's reverse it. Suppose you pay, I don't know, $10,000 to have a heating system put in your house. And you get the very best you can get, most energy-efficient, whether it runs on gas, you know, oil, whatever it is, you know, and they set this thing up, you know, and they run the pipes, and he says, whoo, I just can't wait for the first night. It's cold. We're going to be nice and toasty in here, you know, and, it, you know, it gets to be cold. You wake up in the morning, and it's still freezing because the contractor didn't put in a thermostat. So you have in your basement the power to bring the temperature of your house up to 70 degrees or wherever you want it, but there's nothing to tell the furnace where you want the heat to be set at. And all the powers there to warm your whole house up or cool it off in the summertime, but it can't do anything until there's a thermostat to tell it what temperature do you want. What is your hope for the temperature to be in the house? Because the th- furnace can't do anything unless it's been told what temperature to raise the air up to. In the same way, your faith can't give substance unless there's hope to give substance to. So faith is just as important as hope because you can have all the faith to move mountains. But if you don't have a hope of moving a mountain, your faith has nothing to add its substance to. Everybody with me so far? All right. Now, I want to talk a little bit about what that means for us. Many try to be in faith and to build their faith up without, first of all, having any hope for what they're believing. So they'll say, well, I'm in faith. In faith for what? 
Somebody comes to me and says, well, I'm believing God. I'll ask you, what? Tell me what you're believing God for. Well, I'm believing, you know, and they'll give me usually some general statement. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. So without faith, without hope, there is nothing to give to make substantial. You ever notice that, and I've had this experience, uh, if you've ever built something, um, and, and we have a builder here tonight, if you ever build something, you don't just go and say, you know what, I'd like to build, a, I'd like to build you know, I want to build an office building. How big? Yeah, it's about, you know, I don't know, about 40 stories. Can you do that for me? Sure we can. We have the crew. We can hire the subcontractors. We have the ability to build it. What do you want? I want a building. Yeah, yeah, but... <laughs> okay, you want a building. What kind of building? I want an office building. Okay, that's a little better. I want an office building. What, what, what kind of outside do you want? Skin do you want on it? You want a glass? You want a con? What do you want? I don't know. I just want a building. Build me a building. They have nothing to start with. How do you actually go? You've got the, the, the steels arrived, even if you, even, you don't even know what kind of steel to order, how much steel to order, but suppose you just took a shot at it. Okay, we've got steel here. We've got, we've got, we've got crews that can, that can assemble the steel. We've got all the... Where do we start? What do we put in? I, I don't know. I just want a building. They don't do that, do they? Because nothing, there's nothing to apply their experience, their skill, their materials, their equipment to until you tell them exactly what you want. And with a building, you know, you may need to get some help, like an architect or designers to come up, and usually the first thing they'll come back with is what's called some kind of a rendering, which is an art, artist's drawing of what they think of having talked to you of what that building should look like. There's no specifications, there's no height, there's no, it's just a visual look at it because it's got to start with, yeah, that's what I want. Because they're there to build it for you, what you want. And in the course of it, you may change a little bit what you want. They may give you some ideas, but there's got to be some meeting of the mind of, yes, that's what I want. I want that building that's going to look, that's going to look like that. Now they, now they can take that artistic uh, 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 picture image, and now they can give it to engineers who can begin to put together drawings of how you're, what you're going to actually have to have for materials, what you're going to actually, how much, when they're going to have to arrive, how big they are, what kind of holes they're going to have to have, what kind of, how you're going to connect them together, all those things called specifications. They're going to have to put together, engineers are going to have to put those together, together with the architects, so that when the construction crew comes up, they're not just looking at this picture and say, oh, that's nice. They've got to have something to tell them specifically what to do, and that's going to be based on what you've specifically told them you want. That tells me that hope needs to be specific. Well, I'm hoping that things are going to get better. What's that mean? God's up there saying, okay, they want things to get better. How? Well, whatever you want, God. That's like saying to the contractor, hey, whatever you want. 
It doesn't work that way. So we're trying to build our faith up. We're assembling construction crews. We're assembling uh, uh, steel and we're assembling, you know, the, 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 the concrete mixers and all the trucks. We're getting all the stuff assembled together and haven't told them what we want them to build. Because we're getting built up in faith, but we've paid no attention to hope. And hope's the blueprint for what your faith's going to produce. So we need to talk about hope because in some of your cases, that's why your prayers aren't getting answered. God doesn't know how to answer your prayers. I mean, He can look in your mind, but He's, you know, and I'm here remembering a story I heard years ago. And in fact, I just reread it by Dr. Cho, who's the pastor of the world's largest church. They've only got now, I think it's 750,000 active members. Not people that have ever been there, people that come Sunday. And the story of how this grew is really a, is part of this whole story. But early on, when he only had a few, a handful of people, and he was learning what faith is and how to walk in faith, and back where he lived, in, in, which was in Seoul, Korea, um, to have a bicycle meant you were rich. And he was a pastor, and he walked everywhere he went. And he was getting tired, and he said, God, I could see more people. I could, I could reach out more if I had a bicycle, so I'm going to believe you for a bicycle. And so he got down on his knees and said, God, I'm asking you for a bicycle. I'm believing you for a bicycle. I'm applying my faith for a bicycle. I believe you want me to have a bicycle. And got up, and day passed, a week passed, no bicycle. I've forgotten how long it finally was before he finally went. See, this is I talked about Sunday. He went back to God to find out why isn't this working. He didn't give up on God. He didn't say faith doesn't work. He went back to God and said, what's wrong? Why is it working? He says, well, you asked me for a bicycle. What kind do you want? He says, I can't give you a bicycle. Just tell me what kind of want. So he got very specific with him. One American bicycle, he said, I want, you know, I've forgotten, you know, three speeds. You know, I want the speed, the, 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 the um, gears on the handlebar. I want hand brakes. He told him exactly what he wanted. He says, while I'm at it, I'd like a desk. God said, what kind of desk do you want? In other words, get specific. You know, one of the reasons we don't get specific, because what we're trying to do is give God a much bigger target to hit. You know, well, God, I want a bike. So any kind of thing that comes along with wheels, I can, He answered my prayer! But when you say Schwinn, 24-inch, red, with white wall tires, 10-speed, now, <laughs> you've sent a very precise target for your faith. And the reason, one of the reasons we don't do that is because we really are not sure that God can do that. But just imagine what it would do to your faith if you said, God, I want a 24-inch Schwinn or whatever, you know, three-speed red bicycle with white wall tires. And what you ended up with was a 24-inch Schwinn red bicycle, three-speed with white walls. 
I know a teacher we had out of school, and I knew him, and his wife was one of these women that just really walked in faith, and you know who I'm talking about. And she asked God for a car, but she didn't ask for God for a car. She asked him for a make, a color, a year, upholstery. And I, I mean, everything she wanted on it. And about two months later, somebody pulled up and said, I have, to her husband said, I have a car that I think God's told me to give to your wife. And so he's all excited. I mean, it's the same make. It's just not the same model, the same color. And I kid you not. She walked out of the house, walked over, said, well, thank you very much, but that's not the car I asked God for, and walked back. I mean, she was polite, but she'd asked God for something specific. And it wasn't long later, after that, that someone pulled up with exactly what she'd asked God for. Did you hear that story too? Yeah, you know it is. Okay. Hope is specific. Do you just turn the temperature to something? I don't care, just something. I, I know we don't. <laughs> That's why they invented dual electric blankets. Because <laughs> her temperature was 10 and mine was 2. Specific. They got beds now where you can tell it exactly what firmness you want by a number. So when we comes to things we want, we know what we want. Why not with God? Why not with God? Because the more specific your hope, the more clear and precise you have something to give substance to with your faith. Let's look at some examples of how this works. So many try to be in faith without first having a hope. See, the hope's got to come first. And, and when, when we get into what hope is, you'll understand why. Because hope's not what most people think it is. Most people think that hope is, well, it's some general, uh, some, I think things will probably get, hope, I hope things get better. You, know, you think things are, you, know, you're, you think you're going to you know, get a promotion? I hope so. There's nothing, no confidence in that. But we're going to find that the word hope, the Greek word hope, means something far stronger than that. It means a steadfast confidence expectation. See, if you're expecting something, there's something you know you're expecting. So it's, it's, that sounds almost obvious, but it's true. All right. Now listen to this. Faith can only give substance to whatever you're hoping for. I'll say that again. Faith, can o- faith only can give substance to whatever you are hoping for. It can't do anything unless there's something you're hoping for. Hope determines the extent and the detail of what your faith can produce. Hope determines the extent and the detail 
of what your faith can produce, just like that thermostat determines the extent of heat that that furnace. The furnace is capable of producing more, but it will not produce anything that that thermostat doesn't ask for. Your faith cannot produce anything for you that your hope hasn't asked for. Now, I'm not saying can't, because God can, and He breaks these every, all, all the time. But this is generally how it works. Now, so hope needs to be specific and detailed, because faith has to fill it in. Just think of that paint-by-the-numbers thing. Suppose it was just two numbers, but 14 paints. When you're painting those things, you're looking, you know, where is this number? Exactly make sure I've got it matched together. Because if you don't, you're not going to get a clear picture. Turn with me to um, Genesis chapter 15. Now what God's purpose here is God wants to form a nation of people that belong to Him, that are His own, that He has a relationship with like that of a husband and a wife, a covenant relationship. And the purpose of this ultimately is God wants to display to the rest of the world what He is like through a relationship with His people. See, relationships communicate things. I'm sure many of you have been in a home where you walk in there and you can tell there's been strife here. I mean, people are, you know, they may not, they may be smiling when you walk in, but you've got a pretty idea, good idea they weren't smiling before you walked in and most likely won't be smiling after you leave. They're smiling for your benefit so you think well of them. But you can feel that. On the other hand, you can walk into a room or into, a, into, a, into the presence of, of a couple and you can just tell they're in love with each other. You can tell there's peace in that home, peace in that family, and you can, it, communi- it affects you. In fact, when I do a wedding ceremony, one of the things I talk about in there is that this covenant relationship is intended not just for you to enjoy, but so that God can use your marriage to affect the lives of other people. And so, so that's God's plan. And so God's going to operate the same way. So to communicate something, what He is like to the rest of the unbelieving world, He says, I'm going to form a people that are my own. And I'm not going to start with a people that already exists. I'm going to start with one man who, who worships a moon. I'm going to start with somebody who has no hope. He's, no, he's not religious. He has no relationship. The only relationship, the only God he thinks he knows of is the moon. And I'm just going to choose him. And there's a reason why he chose Abraham. We're not going to get into it. But, but he chooses Abraham. And in Genesis 12, he says to him, I want you to leave where you are. And I want you to go to a place that I'm going to tell you when you get there. And then in chapter 15, he's introducing to Abraham that I want to enter into a relationship with you that's a blood covenant relationship. Now, Abraham understood, and of course his name back then was Abram. Abram understood what a blood covenant was because they was practiced by, uh, by nations and by families and by tribes. And, and, and the purpose of it was to create certainty in the relationship. 
because you would literally pledge your life to one another. And so that's the background here. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. That's evidence of a covenant that he's entering into. And Abram said, Lord, will you, what will you give me seeing I go childless? So Abram's picking up on this because he says, What am I going to get out of this? And my real concern is, I'm childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. The, the practice back then is if you, if you died without a, your own male heir, you could adopt a trusted servant to be your heir and pass on to that servant who is now your adopted son what you would have given to your son that came from your own body. And that's what he's referring to there. Verse 4, And the word of the Lord came to him, Abram, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who shall come from your own body shall be your heir. Now, this is, this is where Abraham starts. Abraham, the only thing he can begin, what he desires is a, a, a male, a, a son, that can, he can pass on his everything to. God appears to him, and God is trying to increase his faith so that he can receive what he wants to do for him. And so he says, I'm going to be, enter into a covenant with you. You'll just have to, I don't have time to go into why those things were, were signs of a covenant. And so Abram's catching on, and he says, well, what am I going to get out of this? What are you going to give me? Seeing that this is what I, seeing I'm childless, and the best I've been able to do is I'm going to have to adopt Eleazar as my own, because I don't have my own son. This is, where, this is what I, I don't have. This is my situation. Notice he's looking at what he doesn't have, and what he can't do. So notice what God does. God doesn't say, okay, you can have a son. Look what God does with him. The Lord brought him outside. It said, now look at the heavens and count the stars if you are able to number them. What's going on there? Is he giving him an astronomy lesson? And many of you have heard me tell this before, but back when I was in college, my, one of my roommate and I drove across the country and we came, we were going through the desert of uh, New Mexico at night. And, and we stopped at one point by the side of the road and, and got out of the car and just laid down on the hood of the car and looked up. Now, there's no lights around. It was a clear night in the summertime, and there's no lights around. There's nothing. See, most of the time when we look at the stars, you know, there's city lights around. There's clouds or things to interfere. But out there, it was, there was all flat horizon, and we just lay down and just... Uh, Wow. Oh, my goodness. And I kind of picture that's what God did with Abram. And we got just lost in the beauty and the number of the stars. Notice God didn't say, I want to give you more than you're talking about. He had to create an image in Abraham's mind to broaden his hope so that God could increase his faith, so that God could accomplish in Abram what he wanted. Because God's will was much more than giving him a male heir. 
God's will was a nation of people or nations of people that were going to come from him, but he could not he could not get Abram to believe him until he began to expand his hope. By expanding what he saw. And we'll probably get into this when we get into what hope is. Notice just how God's, God knows how to do things. And he's not answering his question. He's going to open his mind to see things in terms he wasn't looking for. Abram's looking at what he doesn't have and the very most he could hope for was one boy. God's thinking in terms of generations and nations of people that are going to come from this man that can't produce one. So he has to change his hope. Because as we're going to learn later on, he required Abraham to exercise his faith for the birth of this son. But in order to have faith, he had to have some vision out there that he was looking for and striving towards. And God had to take him down and physically show him the number of the stars. And I believe what God was doing was getting him lost in this vision, lost in this picture, lost in the beauty and the number of the stars. Because that's what happened to us that night. And we're, we're a couple of college guys. You know, so nature doesn't impress us all that much. And we're looking and And I've got to believe that's what happened with Abram. And when that began to get in his senses, then God spoke to him. And he said, So shall your descendants be. And he believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. In order to bring him to a place where he could believe God for the vision that God had, that God wanted to carry out, God had to open his mind to see something and get his senses full of something that then God spoke into words of faith that now Abraham could stand on those words, which he talks about in Romans 4. And believe God, because now God made a promise to him. But that promise would, have not, would not have been anything if he hadn't seen the promise. Seen the picture of what that promise was going to mean. Let's go to, um, let's go to uh, or, um, Exodus 25. This has to do with the building of the tabernacle of Moses in the wilderness. Now Moses is a man that knew how to build things because when he was being raised up to be Pharaoh's son, he built cities. He had contractors, he had plans, he built cities. He knew how to build Pharaoh's cities. But God wants him to build a tent church. Look at verse verse 1 through 8 talks about an offering and about things that are to be brought. Verse 9 he says... And he said, well, let's look at verse 8. Then let them, then tell, and let, and let them make for me a sanctuary 
that I may dwell among them. By the way, that's what we're about here. According to all that I shall, according to all that I shall show you. That is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its finishes. Just so shall you make it. Now look it over at verse 40. And see to it that you make them according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. So God calls Moses up on the mountain and says, I want you to build a dwelling place for me among my people. He didn't just send them down and so, you know, Abraham or Moses can say, you know what, hey, let's see, what have I seen before? Oh, you know what? When I built cities for Pharaoh, I built beautiful places, you know. We could do this, and you know what? We could do that. Let's get a committee together and come up with some creative ideas, you know. We'll brainstorm together. We'll take the best of those things. No, no, God knew what He wanted built, and He still does. This is His sanctuary. It's not our church. It's His sanctuary. It's a place where He comes to commune with His people. And He wants to build His church according to His pattern to satisfy His desire since He is God and not we. And so when we let go of what we want and what we expect and what makes us feel good and what satisfies us, and we begin to come here and sincerely say, God, I want what you want. I want a place that's going to please you. I want us to come together with a heart together that's going to be pleasing to you. Then God will begin to reveal the pattern the order that he wants. It's what, but it starts with hearts that want what he wants so we can please him. Notice the pattern that I've shown you. Let's go over and look now at Hebrews chapter 8. talking about the priestly service in that tabernacle. For if he were on earth, talking about Jesus as the high priest, he would not be a priest under the old system, since there were priests who offered gifts according to the law, which is the pattern that we just talked about, who serve a copy and a shadow of heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he, that's God, said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Now, don't turn back there. But back in Hebrew, back in Exodus, where we just looked, 
starting in chapter 25, chapter 26, chapter 27, chapter 28, chapter 29, chapter 30, chapter 31. Those chapters give detailed instructions of what they were to build, how they were to build it, and who was to build it. Down to what the materials were to be for carrying the different things. God was very precise, very clear. In other words, there was a pattern given to Moses before anything was ever built. God communicated a vision, God communicated an image of specifically what He wanted and how He wanted it made. And then He said, now you take that down off the mountain and God put that image in here, not on a piece of paper. And then God said, select from among you skilled artisans and he chose a man named Bezalel. And it says God took his spirit and put it upon Bezalel. That's the anointing to take the details of that pattern and now transmit them and, and transform them into actual vessels of gold, actual vessels of bronze, actual pieces of wood covered with bronze, covered with acacia wood, so that they formed out the ark of the, 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 the brazen altar, formed out the, 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 the different pieces of furniture, formed out the ark of the covenant. The way God... See, you, if you go through Hebrews and you read about those things, this is what we do in, in the school of ministry. I tell you, one of their, their assignments is to build one of these things from the instructions that are in there. And everyone's somewhat different. Why? Because there's not enough detail in there that you, someone can go out and exactly reproduce it. Why? Because in order to reproduce it requires it to be on the inside. God deposited on the inside of Moses a vision, a hope, a picture of what this was to be like so that when God when they built it, he knew in here, yes, that's it. No, that's not it. Our son Mark is an artist. I asked him a long time ago, when you have something inside of you and then you draw it on a piece of paper, or now he works with computers, you get it on a computer, can you tell when you see on that computer screen, can you tell when you see on that paper, yes, that's what I saw in here, or no, it's not quite that? He said, yes. That's because the vision of it is first of all on the inside and then he can take it and transmit it into paper or into pixels on a screen. In the same way, that's what God did. And that's what God wants to do with you. We're going around trying to believing things without getting what his vision is, what his hope is, what he wants. And then have him begin to form in us a vision. That's what hope is, we're going to learn. Hope is a vision. Hope is seeing something on the inside. Now that you see a picture of it, now you can go to the Word of God or the promises God made as Abraham did and you can begin to apply that faith to, to make that picture now become a physical reality according to the pattern that you already saw in here. I'm getting way ahead of myself, but we'll go back over this. 
So what we try to do is we see a need, we try to get in faith to do it without stepping back and saying, God, show me what you see. What do you see here? Give me a vision in here. Because we see somebody who's lame or, or sick or something, and we're trying to use our faith that, that, that God's going to heal them, but hope sees them healed. And now takes God's promise and applies it to what they see, so now they have substance to what's already seen in here. And we skip that step. We try to have substance for something we haven't seen yet. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. We'll pick up here next week. I hope so. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight that you are a God of hope. Yes, you are a God of faith and you are a God of love. But you are a God of all hope. And our hope is in you. Our confidence is in you. And Father, we ask you to begin to open the eyes of our understanding that we may see the hope of your calling for our life that's in Christ Jesus. Holy Spirit, you are the great architect. You are the great designer. You are the great painter, the great artist. Paint in the hearts of each one of us vision vision for what you want in our lives our health our well-being vision for our families saved and serving you and worshiping you vision for that member of the family that by every everything our senses can detect looks hopeless give us your vision for them that we may have your hope to which we can apply our faith. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' precious name.